Hey, this is Chuck Garrick from Bisto Blanco, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, Headbangers, this is Rudy Sarzo, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I am your host, John. Episode 163 of the podcast, we have two special guests, two bass players, and two bass players that have been in the same band at one point or another. So, see if you can find the correlation. We have joining us Rudy Sarzo, who has uh, returned to the show. He was on with us uh, about a year and a half ago to talk about a book he had written on the life and times uh, of Randy Rhodes. Uh, Rudy, as you may know, has been in Quiet Riot, White Snake, Dio, uh, previously in Blue Oyster Cult, uh, played with Ozzy, uh, and is in a new band called Animetal. Animetal uh, is a new project that, that is a little bit different, and I will let Aaron, uh, in the discussion he had with Rudy, give you all the details of what Animetal is. Uh, it features Mike Vicera as a vocalist. He used to be in the band Loudness, uh, most noticeably. Uh, Chris Impelitary, who uh, is a guitarist who has gone under the radar for a long, long time. He was uh, probably most notably in a band called Impelitary, oddly enough, uh, that uh, did some stuff in the late 80s and into the early 90s. Uh, a little bit bigger overseas, but an amazing, amazing guitar player. Uh, Rudy uh, Sarzo on bass and uh, John Dette on drums. So, to get you in the mood for the interview, we're going to play a track from Anna Metal's debut. This is called Pegasus Fantasy. <laughs> Oh, 
questions I want I would uh, kinda you know answer answer first if if we could. But um I I'll tell you I've been listening to Animetal all morning here and um boy, boy is, I can't wait to talk about this project. <clears throat> you have been kind of the go to bass player in, in my eyes for just about everybody in probably the last twenty, thirty years. Like you were a bass player that every record I was you know, enjoying and learning as a young bass player, you were on it. You know? So how did you how did you, you know, make yourself such, I guess, a musically diverse player and keep yourself in such high demand all these years? Well, you know what? Uh, first of all, I'm so glad to know that you're a bass player, so that, that gets, gets a, deeper, a deeper connection in this uh, conversation that we're having. Second of all, yes, that is a really good question. I'll tell you a couple of things. First of all, I never meant to be the guy who was going to be in so many bands, 
but it just so happened, you know, that's the way my uh, my 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 journey has has been. Uh, but going back to that, okay, uh, when I was when I was playing with Ozzy, I would have stayed with the band until they kicked me out. If it wasn't because it became so hard to continue without Randy being there, very yeah. very very tough emotionally for for everybody, not just myself, you know. So that was my deciding factor to leave the band. They took incredible care of me. They were fantastic. Ozzy and Sharon, you know, treated me like family. So it was a very tough decision. I even, I tell you how tough it was. I left the band to join the complete, the total unknown, which was Quiet Riot. When we were recording that Metal Health album in Los Angeles, the local record company did not have any the vision to to see that the new wave of British metal that was bubbling in England and Europe, they were not aware of that. So we had to wow. really fight for everything, in, you know, as we were recording that album. They thought that we were making dinosaur music, whereas <laughs> I had been already touring with Ozzy and I had witnessed what was coming, you know. So, yeah, it was, I joined, you know, when I joined the band, there was, there was you know, we were driving ourselves, you know, I, we, here we have, the release of Metal Health coming up March, you know, the second or third week of March coming up and, you know, of 1982, we couldn't even get management. Nobody was interested in what we were doing. The record was finished in the can, a record that by November it was going to be the number one album on Billboard charts. Nobody wanted it. Nobody was interested, you know. So I left Ozzy, the biggest, just about the biggest band, metal band in the world at the time for the complete unknown. You know, so it, yes, it was not an easy decision to make, but at the time, you know, because of my, emotionally, it was the the only decision that I could make. So I, so then I joined Choir Riot, and you know, it's I'm not even going to get into the subject, but it, but it became a, it put it this way, the best thing that we could have done was for each, it, you know, me to leave the band by the time that they did not want me in the band, and by 1984, so I left. You know, I mean, if you're not wanted in a situation, what are you going to do? You leave. So then after that, you know, Whitesnake. I loved playing in that band. It was incredible, great memory. You know, but David decided to break up the band at the very beginning of the 1990 tour. You know, he gave us notice. He said, listen, guys, this is going to be my, I, you know, my last tour. I want to, like, really, you know, uh, take some time off and, you know, and, and, and take care of some personal things. So we had warning. So again, I love Whitesnake. I would have never left the band, you know, under as, as it was. And then I joined Dio. Actually, I went back with Choir Riot in 1997, and we we stayed together until 2003 as that metal health uh, configuration. And I got to tell you, when I left. Choir Riot, there were a lot of questions unanswered for me back in the 80s. Like, what if? What if we would just stay there even though they, they didn't want me in the band? What, you know, what if? So when I went back with Choir Riot in, in 97, it was basically to get closure and to answer the question, what if, which I got when the band just fell apart in 2003. Yes, what if the same thing would have happened? The band would have fallen apart. So I got that, you know, I got closure, so I carried on. I joined Dio in 2004 and was the bass player in Dio until the day he died. And Ronnie passed away, you know. Uh, 
I do occasionally whenever my uh, schedule allows. I play with uh, the Dio disciples, you know, to celebrate Ronnie's memory, his music, his friendship, you know, everything that he means to us, you know. So now I am in Animetal USA. And uh, prior to that, I was actually playing with Boris Occult. And my schedule got too he- so hectic that, you know, with the Deal Disciples and Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp and Enemy Metal USA and this other band that I had, was called Tread, it became uh, virtually impossible for me to, uh, to you know, make a commitment to the scheduling of Boris Occult, you know. But, uh, but I wanted to be in a situation where I could actually record which I've been doing with Enemy Metal USA. We have two albums out in Japan, and the special edition through Century Media here uh, in the United States and the rest of the world. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting, you know, in retrospect, looking at my career for 30 years, but I've never been, I'd never set out to be the guy that was going to be going from band to band. <laughs> you know, you know yeah. I, I just wanted to make, the, you know, great music, play with great musicians, and, and, and be as creative as possible. You know, I'm not much into nostalgia going out there and just playing the same thing, you know, that we've been doing for, you know, for the last decades or whatever, you know, with, with any band. You know, that's one thing that I really learned from, from, from Ronnie James Dio. You know, to the day he died, he was making music. Uh, we were working in Dio on Magicka 2 and 3. He was working on Heaven and Hell music. You know, you have to be creative. You know, that's what God put you on earth for, you know, to grow, to progress. You know, that, that which doesn't grow just eventually dies. It's, it's, it's the law of nature. Amen to that. Yeah. That is so true. So, well, let's talk more about this Animetal Project, because I've listened to the album probably about one and a half times already today. And it is, well, it's just downright amazing. So let's, I guess let's start with how did this Animetal USA Project come together. If you want to describe it a little bit for, for our listeners who haven't had the opportunity to see even some of the visuals that go with it. So just let's, yeah. let's start there. Yeah, I got to say, I totally agree with you. It's really an amazing band and it's so I'm so proud to be a part of it. Um, okay, it's Annie Metal, A-N-I-M-E-T-A-L. The Annie, it's, it's uh, for, from anime and metal. It's from, of course, metal. Uh, our singer, Mike Vissera, who, you know, those of you might know him from playing with Inve Momstein and also uh, with Loudness in Japan, you know, the, the, the iconic Japanese band. He was living in Japan uh, for about three years when he was a member of Loudness, and he became a huge fan of anime. Are you familiar with anime, the, um, the, the animation, Japanese animation art oh, yeah. form? Yep, the Japanese okay, animation that. style. Yeah, that that yeah. manga, I, I follow a little bit yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, it came from manga, which is the the uh, the, the the graphic novel version of anime. And then, you know, once you take an, a manga series and you animate it, that becomes a, you know, anime. And uh, so he was, um, you know, tossing around the idea with with our record companies, uh, Sony Music in Japan, about resurrecting the concept of anime metal. Uh, about 20 years ago, there was a, a Japanese version of anime metal, and uh, the record company thought it was a great idea to that the time was right because right now anime is so big, so huge around the world, not just in Japan where it was born but also around the world. So uh, they decided to, yes, go ahead and do it, and then to also call it Anime Metal USA to differentiate it from the 
other anti-metal that was around 20 years ago. And uh, what they, uh, what conceptually, the idea was to not only have uh, musicians that were, were, you know, world-renowned, you know, they had that have been in, in, in bands, you know, that were recognized around the world, but also that were fans of anime. In my case, when I got the call, uh, you know, I am also a 3D animator, which was one of the uh, things that, that, you know, that 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 I fit so well with, with the band because not only do I love the idea, do I love the music, but I love all the imagery that comes along with it. I'm an anime fan. So, of course, you know, when I got the call, I, I immediately, you know, embraced the the uh, the idea, and I became the uh, the band, uh, you know, the member of the band. Uh, the next call was going to be to the most outrageous guitar player that we could find, musically and image-wise. And Christian Pelletieri was number one. So we called him up with the, with the whole the end concept, and he came on board. Uh, for the, from the first album, uh, we have uh, Scott Travis from Judas Priest playing on it, mm-hmm. and of course he's so busy touring with uh, with the band with Judas Priest that um, that when it came time for us to 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 do live shows, such as our first show ever at at Loud Park in a, last October, we uh, you know we had to find uh, you know a suitable replacement. So we uh, we looked around and and we got this, we got so lucky to to come across John Deddy, who had played with Slayer and Testament, and he was such a perfect fit. What an incredible uh, drummer he is. So he not only started playing with us live, but also he was our, he is our current drummer and, and played on the second album, which is called W. Now, the, uh, the special edition that is available through Century Media and also in iTunes, it's a basically... A compilation of both the first and the second record. That's awesome, and and so the stuff that I've been listening here, to here today, it is so I don't want to say over the top, but it's so powerful. And I mean, you know, like you talked about having Chris Impelitary, I was a huge fan of of the the records that Impelitary put out, like in the mid '80s, I think it was mid to late, and um, <clears throat> just to hear. These lush, like almost symphonic, majestic, but all guitar rock driven um, tunes. I mean, like like the musicianship that you guys are displaying here is just amazing. You know, like, like how, was it hard for you guys to record this? I mean, it feels like you know, listening to it, I think you have to be pushing yourselves to your limits. It, just with with as amazing as this music is. Yeah, it's really that's that's a really good question, and the best way that it encapsulates uh, just this this uh, this uh, it would take me pages to fill out the answer to that. <laughs> but but I got to tell you, you know, uh, the uh, the at uh, the core of Any Metal USA, the reason why we do this is first of all, is you know we have been touring in Japan, you know, in my case for over thirty years, all of us have been you know touring in Japan, and this is a way to thank the Japanese fans for embracing us, you know, through all these years, you know, but, you know, let's say if, let's say if the bands that have been going there with Ozzy, Quiet Riot, White Snake, and Dio, you know, I would just go there and do our, you know, our metal thing and then leave. What we do with Any Metal USA is to really, it's really culturally specific to Japan as a whole anime culture. You know, the music, the imagery of anime is, it's 
about the fantastic. There's no limit to your imagination. So we have to play as such. We have to basically create soundtracks to the fantastic imagery that anime is all about. So we have to take our music to the extreme in our performances. You know, it has to sound as grand and as limitless as anime as a art form is. You know, uh, as a matter of fact, we are characters in the band. We are superheroes. We have to play like superheroes, sound like superheroes. You know, we have to look like superheroes because that is what's expected of Anime USA. You know, so let me tell you, I've never worked so hard at a recording of an album that has been released yet as I have with Addy Metal USA because everything is, I, you know, it's intentionally flawless. We go through every single note that we perform and we, have, and we make sure that it is perfect. So it's got to be one of the most perfect records so far that I've ever played on. Because, you know, up until now, every recording that I've, that, I, that I've been involved in that has been released in the U.S., I mean, I'm sorry, in Japan, has been recordings that were actually, you know, more of a global recordings. You know, let's say there were more rock, more blues, more influence like that. So, you know, you go in there, and, you know, as a bass player, you know, there's, there's that certain element of looseness that happens in rock and roll. Whereas with yeah. Metal USA, because it's, it's not only for the... Uh, it, it, it's speed metal, so it has to be precise, you know, and that's what's expected of the band. A lot of precision, ultimate precision, attention to detail. And you guys have hit it on the head, because um, what was the one track I was listening to? <clears throat> I think it's the third track. It's either Pegasus Fantasy or the Spaceship uh, Yamato. If I'm pronouncing Spaceship right. Yamato, yeah. Was, yeah. It, one of those two two tracks, like I, you guys have hit the nail on the head so well with just m- making the music match the imagery that I can picture the imagery the minute I hear it. Like I, my mind is immediately taken to to like a fantasy landscape as soon as I hear this music. And I mean, it is so just technically precise and and just perfect sounding. It really is. I mean, right down to every single note, every single harmony. You know, you I, know I cannot believe what you guys have done. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's not that far away from, from personally. I grew up listening to pro- progressive rock way back in the early mm-hmm. 70s. And, you know, and, and one thing that we are missing today, it's the artwork that used to come along with the albums. You know, like let's Amen. say when I would listen to King Crimson or any of the Yes, you know, recordings, especially the ones where Roger Dean did the, uh, the artwork for that. And then I would go and see Yes performing live, and they would have, like, Roger Dean sculptures, you know, on stage, you know. It was about the fantastic. It was about taking your imagination to a whole different place. And it was, you know, I mean, there were hints of, the, of where your imagination should go as far as the path goes. But it was up to you to, to take that journey. You know, so when I listened to Ember Select and Palmer or King Crimson or Jethro Tull, uh, Pink Floyd, which is like one of the uh, legendary bands about, you know, you know, Dark Side of the Moon. I mean, how, how many times have you just, you know, turned off the lights and listened to that and just let your imagination go, you know, go wherever the music takes it? So to me, you know, anime and, and what we're doing with Anime Metal USA, it's, it's, to me, it's a continuation of, of those, you know, of those journeys that I take once I listen to that music. 
Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more 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 with that statement either. So let let me ask you this: um, Why do you think that the Japanese audiences in general always seem to be so much more open to a variety of music? Because I because I, I know like I think Marty Friedman I had read either produced this or worked with you guys on this a little bit, and I had heard some of the stuff that he's been working on. Um, with the Japanese pop music over there, and it blows my mind just the harmonies and the things they're putting together and how progressive they are. But like, wh- what do you think has driven the audiences to be so open to so many different types of music? Wow, that is such a great question. Yes, Marty did the arrangement uh, of of the first album, and he basically set like the blueprint, you know, of what any metal USA, you know, he understands. Uh, Japanese culture so well. He lives there. He speaks fluent Japanese. So he's been an incredible ally with what we're doing. Um, you know, it, that's such a great question. And I hate to leave anything out, but, you know, we've been to Japan many times, you know, uh, yeah. lately. Uh, well, I've been, I've been going there for the last 30 years, but now with Animal USA, I mean, you know, we have become part of the Japanese culture. We go there and we get in the uh, domestic charts, you know, which is something I've never done before. We do, we do uh, collaborations and tours along with other Japanese artists. So we just finished doing one in, uh, with a band called Jam Project, which is five of the, of the uh, most popular anime theme song performers, you know, in, within that band. So we actually, we went on, they came on, and then at the end, we both played together and they call it a summit. It was an incredible experience because it was all about embracing anime and embracing each other as anime artists and yeah. the fans that come to the show. You know, some were metal fans, some were anime fans, but we both embraced what the event was all about. You know, it was incredibly a culture, a, a not, spe- not just specific to Japanese culture, but very anime. We were just celebrating our freedom of imagination, which is, to me, you know, as a, as a metal musician, that's, to me, it's at the core. That's why I play metal music, because it just, it's total freedom. You know, whatever you want to, how, as fast as you want to play, as, as whatever the themes of your music you want them to be, boy, that, to me, is the ultimate expression of metal. Me. And marrying anime and metal together is it, just it was such a powerful combination. But why yeah, do the and Japanese and tend to do that? I, you know, it's 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 so interesting. You know, it's it's you know, like in the United States, we are such a melting pot. And this is just one of my uh, one of my views on, on on experiencing Japanese culture in Japan. In the United States, we're such a melting pot. You know, there's no, you know, we have our own individual identities and, you know, you could look at a guy standing next to you, could be from, you know, from a different ethnic background or, or so on. You know, and that's an identity in itself. Whereas in Japan, everybody's Japanese. I would say, you know, the majority of the population is Japanese. You know, of course, you know, then, then you have foreigners. And, but there's a, such a sense of, 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 of individual identity. They're walking down the street and everybody adopt a certain look, no matter what it might be. I mean, you could be like 9 o'clock in the morning, you're watching people, you're sitting outside of a Starbucks, and they're dressed almost like cartoon characters. You know, there's that sense of outrageousness, of letting your imagination, you know, be free to express your your identity. And and, And 
you would do that in the United States, people will look at you like you say, well, listen, Halloween is just around the corner. But in Japan, <laughs> that is so that is so important for people to be able to express their own identity, no matter how outrageous it is. Nobody, wow. nobody would, would, would say anything derogatory about it. People would just embrace it instead. You know, so Japan is very much about attention to detail in the culture and letting people really express their inner, their inner beings, who they are. You know, it, it, it's just fantastic. That's just awesome, you know. And it's 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 interesting that you say that, like, like about the the culture being mostly Japanese, because I was still curious about that. Because I know, you know, I mean, the world's a shrinking place. You know, you're you're finding people um, transplanting themselves all over the world. So it's neat to see how that culture is interacting and changing over the years. Yes, and you know what? You're you're so right about that because uh, a few weeks ago we uh, we performed at the Los Angeles uh, Anime Expo at the convention center here in downtown L.A. And I got to tell you, it's not just, see, anime might have, might have been born in Japan, but it's really picking up, you know, it's being embraced around the world. So when we attended the, uh, the expo here, there were about 75,000 people at least in attendance, and they were from all ethnic backgrounds. You know, demographics. You have families attending. You have the father and 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 the wife and the kids all dressed up like their own favorite anime, you know, characters from all That's different awesome. backgrounds. You know, it was yeah. just amazing. So it's not, you know, the, yes, anime might have been born in Japan, but it's being embraced around the world because everybody must be must embrace their own identity. That is as the core of the human experience, having significance, being able to stand out and say, this is who I am, this is what I believe in, you know, and that is what, at the core, that's what anime is all about. Oh, that's awesome. So let's shift gears a little bit here. I noticed on Facebook, I noticed on Facebook, uh, I think it was either today or yesterday, that um, Tread launched their their official Facebook page. So um, what can you tell us about the band Tread? Oh, right now, well, you know, we're, we're so excited about it. It's, uh, it's myself, of course, and, and, and you have Mike Orlando, an incredible guitar player. Why don't you, I, yeah. I, I, are you familiar with Adrenaline Mob? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah he that's was the band actually that on, on the show a little bit ago. He's amazing. Yes, he is an amazing guitar player, amazing guitar player. And AJ Perro from, uh, from Twisted Sister, the drummer, and Dan Nelson, who was briefly yeah. in Anthrax. And uh, it's an incredible band. And then again, it's very different from to me. It you know being in both Andy Middle USA and and Tread really rounds it out. It's my yin and yang. It really fills me uh, musically, incredibly musically yeah. rewarding. Whereas uh, Andy Middle USA is about precision, almost machine-like performance with a, with very melodic songs. And then you have Tread, which is more tribal funk, which is a style of music that that I grew up playing in the 70s, but I've never been in a band that I could actually play like that. So you've got tribal yeah. funk and metal all put together, you know, in one, in, you know, one melting musical pot, you know. Oh, it's just wow. incredible. 
Now, is, is uh, do you guys have an album out yet for Tread, or is there anything coming uh, out soon? You know, we are finishing the record, and uh, we are right now we have uh, labels, uh, you know, waiting to start, you know, making their, their bids for us. And right now we're just going to be, uh, because, you know, we're getting toward uh, the end of the year, so business-wise, we're just holding off to make any major announcements. We are going to be uh, premiering one song that would represent, you know, give people an idea of what the band sounds like. We're we're going to be making the announcement very soon. So those that stay tuned, you know, to Tread, you know, visit our, our website. Uh, it's called Tread Band on Facebook, and it's also going to be on Twitter too. But uh, yeah, yeah, we're being, you know, we're just it's it's. It's going to be phenomenal, you know. It's so we're just, you know, being very careful with with what, you know, the uh, the announcements that we make. Excellent, excellent. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear that. Well, Rudy, I, I don't want to I, take up any more of your time. Yes, sir. I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule because I know you have so much going on. Um, and just thanks for being a part of the show today. It's uh, thank you for the excellent question. Uh, they, it means a lot to me when, when you know, when, when I, when I, I can do such a great interview. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Black, I 
Bad returned with a rare appearance. Friday night, August 10th at Stage AE Outdoors. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. Tickets are on sale now. Get all Ticketmaster outlets, Ticketmaster.com, or charge by phone. For more information, go to promoslive.com. Part of the DVE Summer Concert Series. I always wanted to learn to play guitar, but never had the time. Then I heard about Progressions Music Studio. Progressions introduced me to an entirely new and convenient method of music instruction. They brought the music to me. The instructors from Progressions Music Studio came to my home with their knowledge and expertise, which saved me time and money. They worked around my schedule and tailored a program around my needs and skill level. Best of all, I learned to play music like a guitar king of the 1960s. We didn't spend all of our time with drills or tunes from the 1860s. Progressions Music Studio offers a lot more than guitar. In fact, they have instructors for almost all instruments. Now I can rock it out on my electric like never before. Just imagine what they can do for you or the budding musician in your family. Don't make excuses. Make music. Check them out on the web at progressionsmusicstudio.com. That's P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S, musicstudio.com. Or call 724-777-4678. The biggest bands in rock. The wildest stage shows on earth. The biggest live event of the summer. Kiss and Motley Crue. The Tour 2012. September 2nd at First Niagara Pavilion. Tickets are on sale now. Buy tickets at LiveNation.com. All Ticketmaster outlets are charged by phone. All right, again, that was Rudy Sarzo and company from the band Anna Metal. Uh, the track you heard coming out of the interview was called Mazinger Medley. Again, you can find more information on them. Uh, you just search for Anna Metal USA. On Google, uh, they've got a Facebook page I know already, and uh, a lot of stuff going on because the band is relatively new. So uh, Facebook is probably the easiest place to find information on that band. And then joining us next uh, from Alice Cooper's band, uh, and also the spearhead of a new band called Bisto Blanco, we have Chuck Garrig. Uh, Chuck came into Pittsburgh. I had an opportunity to catch Alice Cooper at Stage AE, and, and on a side note, Alice Cooper, oh my goodness, put on a phenomenal show. Uh, Chuck was uh, there in, in great form that night, uh, played a great set, and uh, wanted to come on the show and talk about Bisto Blanco, which is his uh, band outside of Alice Cooper. Um, so I went on and gave it a listen, and wow, I have to say, if you're a fan of any kind of industrial or a white zombie in ministry, any of that kind of music, uh, but with a modern kind of hard rock twist, and Bisto Blanco is for you. So... Instead of me trying to explain it, let's listen to a track from Bisto Blanco. This is Live Fast, Die Loud, and then we're going to talk to Chuck.
ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show from the Alice Cooper Band and also the new band, Bisto Blanco, Chuck Garrick. How are you doing today, Chuck? I'm great, John. How about you, man? I am doing fantastic. Um, I wanted to get in touch with you. Uh, you've got a new band uh, you're putting together, and we'll talk about your other band in a little bit. But uh, can you talk about Bisto Blanco and how it got started and, and give us a little bit of what it is? Yeah, well, Bisto Blanco is a new band that I just formed with... Uh, my writing partner Chris Latham, and uh, it's it's one of those projects that um, I've been I've been writing for years now, and uh, you know I've been in Coop for ten years, and I've been writing for the last couple of years real seriously, and uh, it's just I needed the right time for something like this to come out, and when I met Tommy Hendrickson, uh, our guitar player now in Alice Cooper. He was producing the uh, Welcome to My Nightmare record. Mm -hmm. And Tommy and I just hit it off um, right away with just musical influences and uh, what we loved and what we didn't like so much about rock and roll. And, and I, I, played some, I played some of the stuff to Tommy, and he just flipped out. He goes, man, we got to do a record. we got to do a record. So um, a few months ago, we tracked three tunes uh, in a studio in Los Angeles, and the um, response has just been so positive. And we knew immediately we were on to something uh, when we started tracking these songs. So uh, so now we're in the, uh, the process of uh, finishing up the record, and uh, we're looking for a late October release of the full album from Bisto Blanco. And uh, i got to tell you, man, I I'm really excited about this project, and uh, there's a lot of people that are as well. And it's yeah. just uh, it's coming together really nice. Yeah, I know w when I heard of your band, um you know, go on iTunes and kind of give a listen to, you know, the minute and 30 seconds of those tracks. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this guy's got something here. I mean, that's, yeah. it's, it's really exciting. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound like your day job uh, it, quite as much. I mean, it's got a lot more, of, you know, white zombie, even a little ministry kind of flavor to it. Um, is, yeah. is that kind of where your roots are musically? Yeah, I think, you know, anything that just has that high energy kind of, you know, just smash you in the face type of sound I've, I've just always been drawn to. I, I do uh, listen to ministry a lot. I love White Zombie, Motorhead, you know, but e there's even parts of The Doors mm -hmm. and older stuff that, that really excites me with just the, the energy to where that stuff functions from. It's, it's, such, it's just right up there, way above your head, kind of just makes you you know, makes you just want to drive fast or just go crazy. And I, there's something about that that's always intrigued me. I've always enjoyed it from a young kid up to now. So that's where I operate from. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned um, Lemmy because I know when I saw you with, with Alice uh, just a couple weeks ago, the way your microphone was positioned, I was like, I wonder if that guy's a Lemmy fan. <laughs> You know, I know so that was just a slight That's tip of the my tribute to my boy, man. I, uh, you know, I've had the privilege of touring with those guys and know those guys pretty well. But, um, you know, I don't think I've ever once told them that I'm a huge fan as well. Yeah. But I, I truly am. I, I love those guys. Yeah, it's, it's hard not to be a, a Motorhead fan. Yeah. Um, how How is the experience of kind of stepping out? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, you've been with, with Alice for 10 years and you've been on a lot, a lot of gigantic stages. But to take take the bull by the horns and step out and, and be the front man, so to speak. I mean, how is that experience and, and the pressure that that kind of puts on you? Yeah, no, there, you know, there's really no pressure other than just pure desire that mm -hmm. I, I really want to do this. You know, I, I um, you know, I was never really good in school because I was just constantly daydreaming on a daily basis and, uh, and, you know, kind of just put myself in this situation. I, I feel that, uh, 
uh, the transition will be pretty easy for me. Um, you know, obviously it'll be a new experience, um, touring and, 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 uh, you know, performing nightly as just the lead singer and, and whether I end up playing, you know, guitar or just, or not playing guitar during these certain songs mm-hmm. or something figure out as we tour but you know just uh, i think there'll be a different preparation uh pre-show type you know type deal going on that'll mm-hmm. that'll happen more than na- you know now it's 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 a little bit easier for me because you know kind of alice does does his thing and he's carrying the show where yeah. i look forward to the challenge and uh to the to figuring out what works best for bisto and and carrying this thing on my shoulders i have no problem i'm looking forward to it yeah and i mean you certainly uh kind of sat at the feet of the master when it comes to learning how to prepare a show and yeah. to, to bring entertainment, which I think a lot of bands, you know, kind of miss the mark. And, and then, you know, seeing Rob Zombie, for example, live uh, recently, yeah. you know, yeah. there's a there's a guy that gets it that, you know, for yeah. the 40 bucks that people plunk down, you're seeing a show. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that, and that's our concept as well. We really want to put together something that, um, you know, we know obviously it's not going to stop start off in the arena level, mm-hmm. but... You know, for wherever we end up playing and, you know, whether it be, you know, smaller venues and what have you, we, we definitely have a show in mind. Yeah. And uh, that's where we operate from. Uh, we want to give the, the, the fans their money's worth with just the, the songs and the visuals and uh, just the overall experience. Sure. Now, you, uh, throughout your career, you, you've spent some time in, in the L.A. Guns. And um, do you want to talk at all about like, how you got involved with that band? I mean, I guess that was kind of... You know, we're probably a lot of metal fans, especially, kind of learned your name. How did you get involved with those guys? Well, the LA Guns thing was like one of those situations where, like, you know, if you you blink, you miss the town, kind of thing. <laughs> you, 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 you know, it's it was so quick. Uh, it was something that lasted, I think, three or four months, and uh, yeah, it did kind of, you know, put my name in the hat a little bit, mm-hmm. if you will. And, and right after that that gig, I ended up. Uh, auditioning for Ronnie James Dio and uh, got that gig, which was, in my opinion, you know, yeah. just a, a, a different level of performing and, and, and uh, touring. It was, you know, as we all know, how the track record that Ronnie has left us with has been uh, phenomenal, and uh, I was just a huge fan of his as well. So it, it definitely was a uh, step up to the next level, and uh, that's what I got from that particular experience with those guys, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and then you mentioned your time with Dio. You uh, you did some writing with Ronnie during yeah. his day? How, yeah. How was that? Oh, Ronnie, you know, God bless him, man. I, I owe that guy a lot, and um, I was just proud to say that um, not only were we bandmates, but we were close friends as, as well, and uh, he is sadly missed every day. I uh, I did two tours with Ronnie. We did two years together, and uh, on the last recorded Dio record which was called Master of the Moon mm-hmm. I co-wrote a song with Ronnie called um, Death by Love okay yeah and uh, it was a good it was fun great experience we I went over to his house and he called me up and says hey do you have any riffs and I go yeah I do you know and he goes well bring them over tomorrow all right, so I go over. I got my ghetto. I think I even recorded him, you know, with a real drummer on a ghetto blaster, and I bring him in, you know. And he's sitting there going. And we just started, you know, weeding through them, and uh, that was the one that they, they really liked. Actually, there was two, um, but um, that one, that one made the record. Yeah, awesome. That's that's got to be really cool. Just to say you went to Dio's house, you know, we could stop right there, and that would have been cool. Um, a conversation without, you know, somebody. So I was at Dio's house, and they're like, "What? Hey, what'd you say?" 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of people envision what that must have looked like, you know, drink, <laughs> drinking grog out of cups and chalices and things. Um, right. how, how did you how did you end up uh, working with Alice? I mean, you've been there now 10 years, which, you know, is a lifetime in the Alice Cooper band. How did, how did you guys hook up? Alice, well, um, I was in Dio at the time. We were playing the Swedish Rock Festival in Sweden, and um, Alice... Uh, it was Ronnie and Alice. So the guys in Alice Cooper obviously had a chance to see me play with Dio, and I had watched them as well. I remember thinking when I was watching Alice Cooper play, I go, wow, man, I would love to be in that band. I'd fit in perfectly. Mm. And, uh, you know, just, just to myself, being that little daydreamer kid that I am, I'm constantly putting myself in these situations. But um, so when the Dio tour ended for me, I, I got a call from uh, – from Teddy Zigzag, the keyboard player at the time, telling me that they're auditioning bass players. And um, Gilby Clark, another friend of mine, uh, recommended me as well. And uh, so I went down and I auditioned. And uh, the rest is history, if you know you can say. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, uh, one, one of the questions with Alice, I guess, that, that kind of was curious to me when I saw, saw you guys live. You have three guitarists now, which yeah. kind of squeezes into your space, or, or does it squeeze into your space sonically? Well, you know, um, that was a concern I had at first, to be honest with you, because um, we all know, you know, guitar players love to play and yeah. love to play out, and, and it's hard to get a guitar player to just, hey, just stop right there. You don't play mm-hmm. anything, and they're going, well, what do you mean? I, I can kind of or scratch the strings. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 just let the bass and drums and vocals. <laughs> but luckily, the guys came in with the, you know, an understanding that, you know, sonically, how we want to do this is we want to make it the best we possibly can. So at the time they brought in the three guitar players, it was Damon Johnson, mm-hmm. Steve Hunter, okay. and Tommy Hendrickson, and all the guys having a huge grasp on the Alice Cooper catalog and Steve Hunter having the experience of actually playing on the stuff since the Billion Dollar Babies mm-hmm. really gave us, um, you know, a different look at how we could play these songs. So fortunately, you know, um, the bass parts are um, are a little bit different than the guitar mm-hmm. ones as well. And I think we just needed to find tones that fit. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, using the fenders right through my amp, it, 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 it seemed to just cut right through and nobody was stepping on anybody's toes. And, and, it, and it's worked out great. Bringing in Orianthi and... and um, you know, Ryan Roxy and Tommy Hendricks into the mix, they did the same thing. You know, they sat down for about a week before rehearsal started and, and looked at each individual song that we were going to play and made sure that their their parts were exactly right and how they wanted to be played. And then when we went into rehearsal, we just made sure that everything sonically sounded good and the the bass could be heard and, and their uh, their notes and their, you know, melodies that they came up with could be heard as well. And Mm-hmm. Now, do you go back? I mean, obviously, there has been—I I could even hazard a guess at how many bass players through Alice Cooper's band, uh, Dennis and Kip, and, and etc. Do you kind of approach those in their style, or do you kind of put your own stamp on the songs when you're playing them? The only thing I really do—I mean, honestly—it's like Dennis Dunaway, you know, had a pretty obviously being the original bass player and a, and a main songwriter for the band and just you can hear everything dennis plays on those old records just the way they were recorded dennis was obviously an artist and a, and a real real great musician um so from my standpoint I, I do learn from that template that dennis has uh i'll learn the songs 
the way that um, they are in the record. Obviously, you know, I, I'm not going to lie to you and say, oh, they're note for note. Well, mm-hmm. they're not, because anytime you saw Alice Cooper live, they changed it up and mixed it up a little right. bit as well. So nothing on the record, but for the most part, it's it's there. The, the, the important bass parts are there. Um, I've done, you know, four records with Alice as well, and every mm-hmm. time I've always tried to approach the bass even though maybe the songs may not have sounded as they would have the older records, I still took the approach of being a bass player for Alice Cooper and trying to give it that flavor. I think Dennis had a real um, real big identity in that particular band with his style of bass playing. As far as some of the newer songs go, you know... Um, you know, some of the, the 90s and, and songs yeah. later on that. I, you know, yeah, I mean, I learned from the record. And then, of course, just, you know, you want to give it your own flavor when you when you have a chance. So when there's a little bass fill or a bass run, necessarily, you, you kind of keep it in that same framework mm-hmm. and, um, you know, make it your own, but also make it pretty close to the way it was on the, on the record as well. Sure. Now, did you get to work uh, with Dennis much during the making of the Welcome to My Nightmare album? Was was he involved uh, I, in the recording? Yeah, I think Dennis played bass on a couple of tunes, and I think he may have co-wrote one. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, uh, sounds I know right. he played bass on a couple of tunes. And Dennis and I, out of all the um, the older guys in the band, Dennis and I have always remained friends. You know, we call each other all the time, sending text messages and emails and, and just, you know, checking in on each other, making sure everything's good. We see each other on the road. And, uh, Dennis is a, is a, is a good friend. He's a true gentleman. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we have a pretty strong relationship together. Yeah, it was cool, uh, uh, you know, to get to see Dennis with, with his new band, Blue Coop, uh, with yeah. you guys in Pittsburgh. I don't know if you guys have played with them much live, but it was, it was really neat to see that. And I was wondering yeah, if Dennis that was. Got up, he, he, I, you know, I had him do sound check and stuff with the guys. I thought he'd get up there and play with us too, but, um, he didn't. But, uh, yeah, he, he did sound check with the guys. I think they did, uh, uh, no more Mr. Nice Guy, maybe one more or something. Sure. Well, uh, the other question I have for you, and this kind of circles back to the to the new project, Pisto Blanco. Um, with Tommy being out on the road and, and you guys are sharing buses, I mean, you guys kind of toy with this on the road, or is this you just kind of do this once the bus stops and you guys get off and get to go home for a few weeks? Yeah, no, I carry, and Tommy carries with them a Pro Tools recording rig. Okay. And uh, matter of fact, today we were just here in my hotel room. I'm I'm in Brussels as we speak right okay. now, and uh, uh, Tommy and I were putting finishing touches touches on a few songs that we've been uh, we've been tracking, and uh, so you know, yeah, we demo up as much as we possibly can out here. Uh, we don't want to spend too much time doing that when we when we start recording in L.A. You know, we want to make sure we have the the basis of the songs down and the ideas down, and then that way. You know, we're just changing lyrics and parts and here and there, but for the sure. most part, the song's written, and then we can go from there. But yeah, yeah, we're tracking as much as we can almost every day, especially now that it's getting down to the wire when, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're done here August uh, 15th, so got a lot of work ahead of me. Sure. Now, with Tommy having such kind of a, a diverse, you know, obviously beyond hard rock uh, background, is that was that something you sought out, you know, being yeah. you know, the style of project? Yeah, because I didn't want this band to just be like some normal, and no, and not, 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 not this is a bad thing, but I just didn't want it to just be another rock band. I wanted to put a little twist on it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and when I heard Tommy's mixes, I thought, 
you know, oh, this is great because he is going to give me that sound that I like so much about ministry or about white zombie or whatever. He's right. going to get that. He has the necessities to do that. He knows how to take this and make it bigger and better. And, and, and it wasn't like, hey, let's demo up some songs. It was like, hey, let's make a record. Yeah. And when you say those things to a guy like Tommy Hendrickson, you know you're going to get full commitment from a guy like that. He's, he's a hard worker. And, um, and, and I am as well. I mean, I spend my days writing and, and promoting this band and, and doing whatever I need to do to make this stuff happen. So, yeah, yeah, yeah that was what I, I definitely liked the, the sound I was hearing from Tommy, regardless if he had written a country song or a, or an R&B ballad or whatever. It still yeah. had this flavor. I heard that there was something about it that I wanted to work with him. Yeah, I always find it interesting when, when you know, your, your metal band or your hard rock band kind of go after a producer's got, you know, a much broader spectrum. And I think it always adds a lot of things to the mix. I mean, since the right. days of Mutt Lang, you know. Yeah, you want to make it, you want to give, you want to write your songs and give them a, a hook. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you, as badass as you want to be, it's, you need to have some sort of catchy hook, whatever it may be. I'm not a big sing-along chorus guy, mm -hmm. but Tommy will come in and say, you know what, sing this type of melody or, or sing this after that or something, you mm -hmm. know, it, it helps, you know, or else yeah. you could just start getting a little bland. Sure, sure. And just one, one final question that sure. from day one that when I heard of the band, what, what does Bisto Blanco mean? Is there a particular meaning behind it? Well, the Beast, I wanted to give the band an identity, you know, when you mm -hmm. think of somebody like, you know, Alice Cooper or, you know, White Zombie or what have you. Um, I always thought that there was a way I wanted to I wanted to give the band some sort of identity, something else you can relate to other than, hey, I'm the bass player from Alice Cooper. Listen to my yeah. band. I need to give myself an identity. Yeah. So, um, you know, the name just kind of popped up. I have a huge white boxer at my house. Um, okay. And we call her, you know, Bisto at times because she's just tormenting it. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the poor other dogs in our neighborhood and people. But anyway, um, and um, I thought, uh, man, White Beast. Look at that White Beast. That would be a kind of cool name for a band. And Bisto Blanco started coming up in my mind. And as I started to say it more and started to kind of come up with a concept, and musically, it all started to make sense for me, and uh, and it and it's it's turned turned into something um, that just starting to develop his own identity. Yeah, and that was I have to say very wise. I, I don't think going out and saying this is the band of the bass player of Alice Cooper is is a great marketing tool. You yeah, know, it's, no, it's, it's, it's very it's, wise. I need people to relate to this thing as well. It, this is yeah, sure. I've had the opportunity, and I and I still and I am the bass player for Alice Cooper. But Bisto Blanco, it's its own and it's its own entity, and and Coop loves it. Yeah. He simply just loves the band. He loves the name. He loves the sound. He's constantly bragging about it, and. Um, you know, I think I think I got something here. You know, when Alice is sitting there, you know, bragging about it on his radio show, and 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 uh, I think we're onto something. So he's always bringing it up and giving me ideas as well. You know, so it's it's yeah. pretty cool right now. Yeah, I mean, you look at that model that that worked pretty well for Zach Wilde when you think about it. So very very Zach, good. You know, people will know people will know what I've done in the past, but what I'm looking for is what I'm going to do right now with this particular band. And, and with Bisto Blanco, I, I need to give the, the people out there quality music so they can also understand that, hey, yeah, bass player for Alice Cooper, but he's also, you know, a songwriter and uh, has this, this other project that's, um, that's worthy of listening to. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, Chuck, I want to thank you. I want to wish you all the success in the world. For folks listening, you can get there's a three-track EP or, or extended CD single or whatever you want to call it on iTunes now that is available. And just a quick mention, I have a full music video uh, that's going to be released in the next couple of weeks for the single breakdown. If you go to our website, bistoblanco.com, there is a short little one-minute clip of a sample of what you'll see when the video is released. Awesome. All right, Chuck, I want to thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate your time.
That's Bisto Blanco featuring Chuck Garrick on bass, vocals, and assorted instruments. Uh, BistoBlanco.com. That's B E A S T O B L A N C O.com. Get all the information on them. And again, look for a full length album this fall from Bisto Blanco. I want to thank again Rudy Sarzo uh, of Animetal USA. And you can go to Animetal usa.com to get information on those guys chuck uh from bisto blanco coming on the show it's been great talking to two bassists uh, extraordinaire and if you haven't figured out the correlation between the two guys both played bass for ronnie james dio so great to get these two guys on the show together uh both really good friends so it was really awesome to talk to both uh, Rudy is always an awesome, awesome guy to talk to. It was great to meet Chuck. So, I want to thank you guys for listening. Please look us up on ironcityrocks.com or go to facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks. If you have not entered, you have until October, August, not October, August 1st, to send us a 30 to 60 second video of you singing a song from Def Leppard, Poison, or Lita Ford. Get you registered to win a pair of tickets to see them at First Niagara Pavilion on the 14th of August. A lot of great shows coming up at the First Niagara Pavilion. We've got Kiss coming up in early September. Also in early September, one of my all-time favorites, Steve Vai, will be playing the Palace Theater in Greensburg. So no shortage of shows coming to the Pittsburgh area and tours across the United States. Go to our concert calendar. You can see what's going on close to home in Pittsburgh. But uh, you can rest assured if they're coming to our town, they're coming to your town too. And uh, don't forget our friends at Guitar Center. Uh, Guitar Center Pittsburgh is sponsor of the show. They've got uh, recording classes going on on Saturday mornings and always have great deals out there at the store in Robinson. So check it out at that Guitar Center or any Guitar Center across the country. Thank them for our their support. And again, we want to thank you for taking the hour out of your day to listen to us. Take care. <laughs>